Welcome, everybody. Um, it's great to see everybody here this morning. Um, I've got some family in this weekend, so that's quite exciting to have them here um, with us. Um, I want to start, I think this is kind of an interesting chapter, and uh, I don't know you guys, how many of y'all have seen the movie by any chance, or even heard of the movie Wonder that came out recently? Anyone seen it? Okay. Awesome. Wow. Okay. Well. No. No. Um. Do what? If you don't like it, you can just plug your ears. Um. Well, no. I was I was thinking about the the section we're going to be going through this morning from uh, Acts, and I love the way I saw this over the holidays, and the the movie tells a story. Um, of a family and really like an extended family, friends that are kind of like part of that family and comes to it from each different person's perspective over the course of this movie, which I thought was great because you typically see that maybe more like an art house cinema or something like this, but it was actually like a movie that's really gauged for audiences of kids, you know, who would probably not be trained to think and put themselves in someone else's position. And so... um, Anyhow, as I was thinking on this, this section, um, I wanted to try to bring some of that to our conversation about Philip um, and the Ethiopian that he meets on the road. So um, let's pray real fast, and then we'll kick in, but uh, excited to be with you guys this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. Um, it's because of the word that you've given to us, uh, and you, uh, Jesus, who are... Um, just the word of life to us, that we can be here this morning, have hope, have joy, and know that we are loved um, in return um, before we could even know it. So, Father, we just ask that you would open our, our hearts, our, our minds, our ears uh, for what you have to say to us um, as a we, as members of your church here in Austin, um, and teach us to be more like you um, so that we can think um, the way you would have us think, make our hearts and minds new and renewed. Um, to, to live in this kingdom that you you brought to us. Um, yes, all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, yeah, rather than a whole Bible, I've got my phone on this giant pedestal here, so we'll see how that all works in terms of using. Um, last week, Austin uh, led us through the first part of Acts chapter 8. Um, and I like that at the very beginning we talked to me a little bit about what that was about. Does anyone kind of recall the conversation happening, where it was happening? Maybe the kind of the who, the what, the where, the when, or why? You can throw it back at me if you were here last week. Samaria. That's perfect. That's the where. Um, like Austin said beforehand, the church was expanding outside of Jerusalem. Persecution was beginning. And we found somebody, our who in an area north of town, Samaria, um, speaking the gospel to folks who had not heard it before. Who's the, who is the who? Don't start a who's on first joke with me either. Um, Philip. Philip, right. Who was Philip? Do we, anyone remember? No, it's perfect. I was going to tell Austin not to speak, so you can go ahead. <laughs> See, he's one of the seven? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I told Austin yesterday, during, during service last week, I was like, oh, he's, he's saying it all wrong. It's, it's Philip the Apostle. And so then I did research this week, and sure enough, 
I was completely wrong on who that was. In fact, I was actually planning on Friday to go talk to Austin at, uh, yesterday and be like, hey, man, just want to let you know, like, if I say this and, like, I don't want to make you look bad, but, and then I, I literally, like, that, that evening was looking this up and I was just like, every tradition says this is absolutely who this was. And so I had to come up and be like, man, you're so right and I am such an idiot. Um, so I'm, I'm confessing my, my pride and sin there. So I was like, not right. So yes, he was one of the folks who um, had been appointed by the apostles to take care of widows and orphans because after the church blew up at Pentecost. We've got thousands of people now in the city saying, we want to be part of this new kingdom thing too, and we're willing to leave where we came from. We're willing to stay and commit to making this happen. There's a lot of people to feed, a lot of folks to take care of at that point. Um, why was it interesting that, that the church was in Samaria? Did anyone recall um, why Samaria, Samaria is interesting to us studying scripture um, with a lens on our, our mostly Jewish audience? Yeah, yeah, so Samaritans were already kind of, um, I think we said they were, they'd mixed in with other, you know, different tribes and races of folks that were not Jewish, not necessarily religiously Jewish or clean, so they were already seen as unclean, Um, and then here yet goes Philip, and then behind him, uh, other apostles to teach and preach and share the good news of Jesus to folks that are unclean, right? So now we're stepping outside of that kind of initial circle of folks and saying, wait a second, the gospel is for everybody. Um, and we meet this guy, Simon the Magician, the sorcerer, the wizard. When you said wizard last week, I thought, is Simon Gandalf? Does he have a long beard um, like Austin, but, but maybe white, certainly. Um, it's, um, yeah, and he's, uh, and he's out there doing these ma- magic tricks of sorts. Maybe he's actually performing some level of magic, but um, he sees Philip do this, this miracle these miracles across Samaria, and suddenly he's asking the question, what, what is this all about? He starts to follow, and, and wouldn't you know it, um, and his idea of, of how to do good works, it's, I want to be the guy doing the good works. How much does it cost for me to learn to apprentice under you, right? Wizards have apprentices, right? We've all seen Harry Potter. Um, that's how this whole thing works. How can I teach, and what can I pay? And... Um, and the answer he gets from Peter, who's now up there with Philip and others, is pretty, it's like, yes, just like that, except even harsher. Um, it, I mean, when we talked about it, it was like, man, may your, I think, may your silver die with you, or something this, like, uh, it's this really, really rough statement. Um, and basically, like, scares the, I don't know, about scares Jesus right back out of Simon for a second, and Simon's like, well, you just pray for me really fast that this doesn't, this terrible stuff that could happen doesn't happen to me. And so we have this unique moment where um, the gospel is spreading in Samaria. The people who are in power religiously or are seen as folks who have the answers are actually starting to follow um, these Jesus-following apostles and folks from the church in Jerusalem. And that's where we kind of pick up the story as we step into the rest of Acts 8 this week. So if you have a phone or your Bibles, you can turn to uh, the book of Acts in Acts 8, and that's what we're going to be reading, um, verses 26 through 40. We get them here on screen, and we'll 
read through it and walk through it today, and I'm just super stoked about this entire section. So, anyhow. Good. You should be stoked. Absolutely. Stoked is a favored word of mine, being a Stoke City fan. Um, So it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, this passage is full of absolute just craziness, which I just love. Um, but starting kind of from the beginning, and I think going back to what I mentioned before we prayed about the movie Wonder, I really want to, want to talk um, about, first about where Philip is in this story. So, we have Philip. We're coming out of Samaria. This entire area north of Jerusalem is starting to turn towards Jesus. People are following them. He's... I guess in, a, in kind of a layman's terms, they're doing a pretty great job, and things are starting to feel probably pretty decent there. They've just gotten persecuted out of Jerusalem, and they found a, kind of a, a place of safety, and they're finding success in seeing people come to know Jesus, which, again, has got to be so cool for them because they've just received the Holy Spirit themselves, and they're seeing God do this miraculous work. And the kingdom is coming, and they're there, and it's got to be amazing. Um, and then we get this... Starting statement, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, first and foremost, all the apostles are coming up to, and most of the church is starting to scatter up to Samaria. And Philip gets a word from God to leave everybody else. Like, not the entire church, like, hey, guys, we're going to strategize together, we're going to think of the next place to go. We don't get that. We say that Philip gets a word from God to leave this great place. Um, When I was reading this, I started thinking, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like everything is going just great. You're with a group of folks that you love. Maybe you've had to move out of a place before that you loved with family and friends and everywhere and go somewhere new. This almost felt like an Abrahamic call to me as I was reading it because Philip is experiencing great things and yet he's getting called out to go somewhere completely different. Um, 
And as you read this, this, the, the part of Scripture here, it says um, that the Lord said, Rise and go down the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke's writing this, and he adds in this part. This is a desert place. Like, that's, that's not even part of the story. It's just like Luke's like, this place has no water. This place has no food. This place, people don't hang out here very much. Um, it actually said that the translation of arise and go toward the south to the road actually points to go there at high noon, which is basically like the hottest time of the day. Go to the road that no one really travels and go there when actually no one's going to be traveling because it's so hot that you're likely to either have to go cower somewhere and maybe get you know, bandits after you or you could actually die. So go out to this road that no one travels when no one is going to be on it and I'll tell you what to do. And to me, that translates to like, Leave the, you know, success or good things. In this case, it's like so, so much better. But it's like, leave the church that you're a part of. Leave the things that are great. Leave all your friends and, and folks you're working with. And go to this place where there are no jobs. There are no people. And it's going to be awesome. And I think the first thing that comes to my um, mind is God must know something that we don't. And I think this story, like, kind of keep this in mind. But God's canvas is not our canvas. And I think for me personally, one of the challenges I have is I think about even the way that we talk about Jesus today to other people is I always want to be culturally relevant. I always want to speak in everyone else's language. And even Paul tells me that's probably a decent thing to do. But if all I'm looking at in Scripture is, okay, um, I'm going to do this in the way that this little canvas that I have in front of me that I can paint on, I'm going to miss out on this giant canvas that God is working on. And I know about you guys, but sometimes you ask God to do something and you've already defined the plan that you have set up for, for yourself. This is, how, this is how the plan looks, God, for the next six months. And I would like you to bless my plan. Because clearly my plan is the one that's going to work. And God's canvas is way bigger than my plan. And so um, besides the fact that the rest of the church was probably thinking, that's great, Philip. That's really interesting. I hope that works out for you because there's nobody down there. You came to Samaria. This is great. It's like, I don't know. Let's go to the Sahara and let's build a great city. It's like, I guess if God wants to do that for you, that's fantastic. Call me when you're, when you're there. Call me when that works out. So he heads down because Philip is this man of great obedience, and he's also a man of willingness to serve, like we've discussed. He's, he's one of the seven who's willing to take care of the widows and, and folks who, you know, f- frankly, would not have been, you know, he wasn't one of the high-ranking folks, and that was actually just fine with him. He wanted God to use him. And in that way, he was the first person up there in Samaria telling stories. He's the first person down on the street. I guess he's not afraid to be first when the situation looks last, looks least. So here's the Samaritans. They're unclean. Let's go to Samaria. Well, no one else wants to go to Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria. Now suddenly the church is in Samaria. God says, Philip, go down in the desert. Okay, I'm going to go down in the desert. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I think sometimes those, you know, to lead really well is to both listen and serve and be first in a way that no one else wants to be first. Um, so let's, let's keep on going through here. Um, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, um, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Um, I think the, the point that Luke makes here. Like, there's two, two or three main things, right? One, this guy has uh, a lot of wealth. We'll keep reading. But this guy is in charge of all the treasure of Ethiopia. 
if we know anything about Scripture and, and who is holding the money, that person is often highly trusted. We know Judas held the money for the disciples, and that must have meant that he was pretty close to Jesus because that's a very trusted position to hold. So that betrayal, as we talk about, as we look towards uh, Lent here in a few weeks, um, it's a big betrayal. This is not somebody that is not trusted and you know, very, very close to power. Um, we read that he is writing from Jerusalem. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning seated in a chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. A couple of things to note here. One, this guy's got, he owns a scroll of Isaiah. Most folks can't, you know, reading is a hard thing for most people at this time. He owns a scroll that he is reading through, a scroll of Isaiah, which is probably very, very expensive. Um, we note that he's riding in a chariot, and he's on this road that no one else travels on, probably because he's got folks that can attend to him, keep him in decent comfort, and he's got a chariot. So he's, he's on the road. People don't walk this road because it's too hot. He's in his, you know, Ferrari or his Bentley in this day and age, um, you know, slowly driving down the road, enjoying the fact that they always show those cars too, right? They show them in deserts, like, look, the tires can roll on top of, like, sand, and you can still go zero to 60 in 2.1 seconds. Um, I feel like that's this guy to some degree, at least in terms of how much wealth he's walking around with, um, riding around with. Um, other thing we, we, we note is that he's a eunuch. Um, why is that important? Well, one, if you're a eunuch, you can't, you can't uh, in Ethiopia anyway, he's not going to mess with the queen in any way. He's not in danger of trying to take over or begin a new lineage. Um, whether he was born this way or he actually became a eunuch to, to you know, be put into this position. Um, in Ethiopia, the queen is seen as the one who interacts with the people. The king is in this position where he's too high, mighty, holy to actually interact with people. So the people who interact with the queen on, on his behalf and with the court have to be pure motive. How do you get pure motive? You make sure that there's no possibility of ulterior motives. This guy, in all of his wealth, also is lacking um, in some very you know, real ways as regards cleanliness in the temple. Because we go to Deuteronomy 23, it says that you can't enter the temple um, if you have been castrated. So we have this wealthy, wealthy man traveling up from a long, long distance with probably a retinue of folks going to Jerusalem and then not being allowed into the temple. We don't know if this man knew he wasn't going to be allowed in. Maybe he had read all the, all the scrolls, but it's clear that he's still trying to learn. But I think we, we get from this guy is this hugely faithful man who believes something about this God that is seen and known in Jerusalem and is willing to come a long way only to be told, you can't get in to this place. You can worship out here, you know, you know guy, but I'm, I'm sorry, you're not one of us. Um, you're from way far away, you look very different from us, and by the way, there's probably some physical, you know, parts of being, I, mean, I don't know the, the doctoral essay on this, but suffice to say, if, if um, his testosterone levels probably made him, as a eunuch, probably sound a little bit different, probably, uh, you know, his, his scenario was one where as a man it might have been very noticeable to other people that this was a eunuch, just by the way that he spoke, by the way that he, his body had been set up within the constructs of the Ethiopian kingdom. So this guy looked, sounded, was everything different to the people in Jerusalem, yet he loved God and had traveled up to worship him, only not to get into the temple. So um, he's got all the wealth in the world, but he's coming back here having been excluded from 
communion with God in that way. Um, something that I think is so interesting about this is that Philip goes down here listening to the Spirit, and then he sees, like, the one person on the road happens to be this hugely powerful-looking person. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but if you see somebody who looks even higher than you culturally, what do you, how often do you go up and talk to that person? And, I mean, I'm looking around, everyone's kind of, you know, chuckling. No, like, there's almost this weird, like, societal construct that still exists today. Like, if this person looks like, I'm not going to walk up to a guy in a really nice car and try to tell him to roll down the window. That guy, like, I don't know about you, but when someone who is, in your mind, maybe economically, visibly less than you comes to your car, you think, uh, that's okay. Um, I don't know. This is what I think. This is how I'm terrible. But I'm like, I, I don't, you don't need to wash my window or, like, I don't have any money for you. Like, don't, don't do that. I'm afraid of having this interaction because I don't know how it's going to go for me and maybe for you. And I have some constructs in my head of how that's going to look. And so the fact that Philip is listening to the Spirit, um, tell him, go over to this chariot. Go walk up next, run up next to it. Like, can you, can you pick, just picture this for a second? Like, this, this chariot is going down this, and this poor Jewish guy, who probably didn't have, I mean, we don't have any context of his economic situation, but it's likely that he was, had already shared most everything he had, based on Acts 2 and Acts 4, so he wasn't exactly running around in robes himself if he ever had them. And this poor guy is chasing the chariot down, watching this Ethiopian dude read with a bunch of other folks around him, and I'm sure every single one of those folks were looking at this guy. Like, one, it's way too hot for you to be out here, you fool. But then two, what are you doing? You know, if there's anybody with a bow and arrow or something, they're probably, like, starting to point it at this guy. Like, what are you, <laughs> what are you trying to do? And I guess what's in Philip's mind? Because, uh, again, if, if you're like me, you think in terms of the canvas that you often like to paint on. I'm not thinking... I'm thinking I'd never be there. I'm thinking when people start looking at me funny, that's the time for me to step back and realize, this is awkward, time to go the other way, right? This is maybe not, this obviously isn't what you called me to do, God. You see, this is weird. And, um, you know, and even in Austin, keeping Austin weird, this is a little too weird for me. It's a little too awkward, right? We're crossing lines here. I'm stepping out. And I don't know if you've been in conversations where you like get to a point somehow in a conversation, it gets a little bit personal, and like people kind of, you can see someone's eyes get a little bigger, the eyebrows go up, and you're like, um, the football game was great yesterday. I mean, we are, are automatically trained to move off of that conversation. But not only is Philip not running off that conversation, he's actually running toward it, because he's hearing God say, go here, be here. Um, beautiful thing, by the way, about using your phone to do your notes is that then you have to change from Scripture back to it. So in this way, it's actually not nearly as efficient as having pen and paper and a Bible open in front of me. Who'd have thought it? Um, don't tell Tim Cook. Uh, so I think, as I keep thinking about this from the standpoint of like our church, and as I was praying about it this weekend and this morning, I really want us to, I really want to think, where are all the places where God is asking me to listen in for conversations? Where does the Holy Spirit say, this might be awkward for you, but go? Because I think so often for me, when we talk about like, I want people to know who Jesus is. I think knowing Jesus is like the way, the truth, and the life, and like life is everything that it should be and more if I know him. And then I go, okay. And so to do that, here is how that looks. 
I've got my, my, my canvas here, and it has to be this way. Has to, I have to wait for this like perfect conversation. I have to make sure that this relationship is just this way. I have to make sure this person trusts me immensely. Because if I have this conversation about God in this, this way, people are going to think, you know, people are going to look at me from the chariot and think, I'm a fool. What am I doing? What are you out here for? Like, are you trying to kill it? Are you trying to say that we're, you know, wrong? What, what are you doing? And so, like, I feel like as a, I strategize in my own mind, like, how do I do this in a way that's authentic but not pushy? But the, I don't think any of this stuff enters Philip's mind because the kingdom of God is so important and what God has told him is so important and the spirit of God moving in his life is so real that he doesn't go, now I wonder if God has thought of this. You know, like, I, I wonder if, okay, God, let me throw these three at you here because we only operate this way. We're in a new kingdom. We don't operate in these old ways. I think Austin talked last week about pouring new wine into old wineskins. Simon's problem was he thought, well, if I'm going to be able to do this stuff, um, I've got I've to pay for it. I've got to pay to become, I mean, at his best case, an apprentice to these disciple people who are doing greater things than I've ever seen. And that's an old way of thinking. And I think for a lot of us, talking about Jesus in our present-day culture we have to jump ourselves through so many different hoops because we're trying to pour new wine into old wineskins. And the reality is, if we listen to God and listen to his spirit, we're going to find these conversations are sitting here waiting for us past any sort of construct that we have to strategize or figure out in our own head. We just need to listen to him. Um, and it's funny, I found myself recalling in this time like very random interactions that I've had over the course of my life. Um, when I was in uh, high school and then in college, there was this Starbucks that was right in the center of the town that I grew up in. And I would always go there and read and kind of hang out. And I had so many points of contact with people because we were reading a book or something. Someone would be reading something else that I'd notice it. And then we'd start talking about something. And it would lead to these really immense, rich conversations about faith. The kinds of conversations that I'm like, frankly, not often having right now, and then I'm trying to think about having, but not actually having, because I'm trying to sit here and develop the strategy to be able to talk about Jesus in a way that's not going to offend, that's going to be right, that's going to be perfect. And just sitting there and putting myself within earshot of people was enabling so many amazing conversations, the kind of conversations that I wanted to be having. Um, and I realized that I'd forgotten those. And I just wonder sometimes if, like, if Satan attacks some of our memory of where God moves, because he knows that if he takes down Ebenezer stones in our hearts and our minds, we forget that we actually crossed over a river and God did this amazing thing, and oh, I didn't have to do anything for it. I was just there listening to God, and she told me that story that she'd never told anybody else, and I heard him looking at, you know, talking about this, and suddenly we were talking about what mattered in life. I didn't do anything for it. I think the best stories most of us have of God moving are those moments where we're sitting there and we come up to someone else and we go, I can't, I can't even tell you what happened today because I had nothing to do with it. And it's this we very weird, amazing kind of enlightening. I mean, like lightning, like you're not carrying this burden all the time of like, how am I going to do this stuff? Because you're not going to. Like none of us are going to. It's the Holy Spirit's job to let us know. It's our job to listen. And I think that's what Philip's doing here. Um, the beautiful thing about having your phone open, though, and positive is it shows you what time it is, so you can make sure you move through things in a quick way. 
Um, so yeah, God's canvas versus our canvas. Um, what are our own social and economic barriers that we are spending way too much time with? And what are the conversations with God, the listening to the Holy Spirit, that we're not doing and we're not spending enough time with? I found myself trying to pray this morning. Some of you talk about that. I talk about, I was praying for us this week. Sometimes my prayers are about 30 seconds to a minute because my mind wants to flip on to whatever next screen I was probably on previously. And I'm trying so hard to be like, okay, God, I just want to pray for this one thing and mean it because I've trained my mind in this present-day culture to like, not be able to focus for more than 15 minutes like silently alone. Um, I don't know if anybody else is like, amen. You don't really amen that, but if we were in a church that would amen, y'all would be honest. Y'all be like, yes, amen. Um, you're teaching from a phone. Um, so I think, um, but I think God knows, again, God works through our cultural con- constructs to show us what a new kingdom looks like. We don't have to be, again, oh, I could pray better and God would do more in my life if I could just, you know, change my entire behavior with my phone or with my ability to spend time quietly. It's stop limiting God. Stop. Like, why, why, how do you know so much more than God knows? Like, it's, it is funny. It, I, I, I mean, really, though, like, it's, we sit here and we, we make excuses for God not to work. God, you can't do this. I mean, if only I were better, God. If only I could spend this entire week, 15 minutes every morning in the Word, then I know that, like, I would have those conversations. But I'm just not there yet. Of course, you're going to achieve the kingdom of heaven, too, you moron. I'm talking to myself. Um, I mean, this, these are the kinds of things, though, that we do. And we think, this is totally normal. And I think God just wants to, like, wipe that stuff away and say, stop getting in my way, see where I'm working, and go there. And then listen to me then. I'll tell you what to do. Like, I don't go somewhere, I wouldn't go into a vineyard somewhere and be like, oh, dude who runs the vineyard who invited me here to have some great wine, I can't be here right now because I don't know how to plant a vineyard and I don't know how to cut the stuff right. I mean, I just, I, I don't even, I don't work really well with my hands and, He's like, shut up. I invited you into the vineyard so you could do this with me. Just let me show you. And I think our self-talk can be so, not just distracting, it can be debilitating. And it stops us from the things that God is putting right in front of us to do. Um, I think it's really cool as we dive kind of back into where the eunuch's at here. The eunuch, (laughs) to do these things that we're talking about, you have to have a teachable spirit. The eunuch is a man of high power and prestige, and he travels the hard roads in luxury. And when this crazy-looking Philip guy is running next to his chariot, he didn't say, I don't need my chariot washed, bud. I, uh, go, go get under a rock somewhere, really, or you're going to die from this heat. He invites him up into the chariot. He says, I'll answer you. I don't know how I'm going to understand it unless someone teaches me. How do, you, how do we have teachable spirits like that when someone who looks different than us, someone comes from a different cultural context than us, someone does something weird? Even in Austin, right? Like we, we actually don't deal very we- well with weird. We want to keep it weird. We really don't want to keep it weird. Unless we've had enough to drink, we're not going to keep it weird. Um, it's very, very hard for us to deal with these weird social scenarios. So the eunuch invites Philip up, and he reads this beautiful section of Isaiah. Which, as we read it, right, we're, we're reading it in advance. We know, oh, that sounds like Jesus. That's really cool. That's perfectly timed. Wow. Like, God just laid this, you know, it was like a layup. He teed him up, ready to go. Um, 
And Philip was so ready for this conversation because this, this guy's reading about Jesus and Jesus' troubles. And I have to think, um, I used to read this very two-dimensionally and reading it this week, it's been very, very fun. I have to think that he was starting to connect a little bit with, you know, who this Jesus is, the sufferings he went through. Who could speak of his generation? And the other thing says, who could speak of his descendants? Well, this man certainly didn't have any coming. Um, and he was, like, wiped from the earth. And this, guy's, this guy in Isaiah has had it rough. I think, I don't know how rough he's talking about, but I can kind of compare to this. I don't think it's any accident he's reading about this scenario in which he has just been told, you can't enter the temple, you're a eunuch. And this guy in Scripture is saying, now who can speak of this Messiah's descendants? Because he was wiped from the face of the earth. I'm not going to have descendants. He's had a little bit rough. He's feeling, maybe he's riding in his chariot, but his experience of faith and Scripture and anything else is... It's rough for you too, buddy. You may have a lot of wealth. You may have a lot of prestige. But you're not like us. And scripture says we have to keep you out of here. So when he's reading this, there's a real thirst. You can get that thirst, right? We're in the desert. We can put that together. But he's really thirsting for something deeper. And so when Philip is there talking to him about this, he starts right there. He starts right in with the story of who Jesus is. Um, and I love this part as we get towards the end here, the verse they're reading through it. He walks through who Jesus is from the Old Testament to the New, about what Jesus has done and what the gospel is and why this is all new and why all obstacles can be removed. Because for most of us, there are obstacles, right? There are, I mean, I, I remember growing up when people would say, man, I want to follow Jesus. Like it, I've, in churches that I grew up with, there'd be, you know, you'd when we'd be, great, yes, this is awesome, let's, let's do these things. And almost immediately after you followed Jesus, there was this element of like sin management that starts to enter into the conversation. And it's like, oh, well, now you're following Jesus, so we need to wipe all these other things out of your life right now. So what, what's going on in your life? What you, uh, I don't know what your, what your sin is, but um, anything that's public about that, and probably the private ones too, let's start figuring out a, a plan to, to cut all this stuff out of your life because you're a Christian now. And this needs to happen immediately, pronto. Um, I don't think that, in no other part of life, do we, do we start into, on a new road, a new path, and someone has this immediate expectation that, okay, by the way, now that you're, you're a part of this thing, everything about your life has to be completely different right now, and the moment that you step back into anything that you were previously, you're gone. Bye. Sorry, you can't be here anymore. Um, and I feel like in this first church context, no one has this sin management administration built in. You know? It's not like, well, eunuchs, have you ever worshipped anywhere else? Um, what kind of foods do you guys eat? Um, what, what are all these restrictions that we have now that we've become part of the church? Um, Philip's like, man, we're removing all obstacles because of what Jesus has done. And I, I think the evidence that this conversation is doing just that is that as they're going, there appears this place of baptism, this this. this water in the desert. And maybe it was there, maybe it was hidden, maybe it appeared. Some people think a lot of different things about it. But as they've gone through who Jesus is, and you can see this, this eunuch's face, this, this Ethiopian man of power, but also of humility and care, he sees this pool of water and he says, look, there's water. Like, what can prevent me from being baptized? And I was thinking about this this morning, and I got a little bit emotional about it, so I'm going to hold back. Um, but like, this guy has been stiff-armed the entire time on his trek up and down. And he's heard the story of Jesus, and his entire countenance changes. 
his entire, God, you can't be here if I'm talking, because if you cry, I can't deal with it. You can't have your mom in there crying. That's probably why I don't I like to have emotional conversations, because whenever she cries, I flip out. You see, Aisha, that's what I tell you. Um, um, <laughs> I stiff arm that stuff. Um, this guy, this guy has had everything told to him that you can do it all. You can travel up here. You can have, you can walk this desert road up and down from the middle of Africa up to Jerusalem. And you, um, but you're not good enough. Um, and it's something that you, he did it, you know, it's, this happens way too often to me in these stories. Um, He didn't deserve what was coming his way. In fact, he might have become a eunuch because it was better for him. You know, it might have been better for his family. It might have been thrust upon him in no way, shape, or form. But when he learns that Jesus' love overcomes everything that he has fought to try to be a part of, um, he, he looks at the guy telling him the story and says... You just told me that it's okay for me now. You told me that I can be a part of this, finally. And he jumps down out of the chariot into the desert and asks the guy to join him, and he gets baptized immediately. Um, And I just, in one sense, it's this beautiful thing that makes you get really excited about what faith should look like. In another sense, I'm a little bit sad that I don't experience more of this because... I treat sometimes knowing Jesus like it's just any other thing. You know, if you know him, great. If you don't, I'm, things, I'm sure things are fine. Um, but people who are seeking him with all their heart, know that's the only thing that matters in the world. They know that figuring out who God is and what their entire reason for being here is, is worth it all. And they haven't put a bunch of stuff ahead of it or covered it up with all the other trappings of our own you know, culture, our own, I got to... I got to pay off my house. I got to do this. I got to do these things. Are all important if they come after Jesus. If they come after the why that makes it all possible. But most of us let, if you're like me, all that other stuff come ahead of the why. And when people get very, very brutally honest, this is what it looks like to seek after Jesus. And what's cool is if you're like that Ethiopian guy, (laughs) you could be on the road where no one else travels, and God will put someone in your path. Um, and you know that because of this story. And, and you can be accepted. You can be, you can be who you've always wanted to be and know that God wants you to be that way too. And that you can start walking with him and stop, get out of your own social constructs of what you think is possible, um, of what you think that you are and know that you're way more and that God sees you that way. Okay. I did that so you guys would get emotional and, uh, and really, because... Because in my construct here, if you get emotional, maybe the Holy Spirit will do something in your life, too. It's amazing how that works. That was all planned. Um, last things real fast um, before we go here. Um, we have this entire random moment where Philip is then whisked away, literally. Um, translocated. I thought whisked. And I thought whisked is a wrong word. Don't use that with an egg. He's not like, it's not like God like whisks him up and then like, whew, like blows him across the de- into another place. Um, so I'm going to translocate it. I like that. Um, 
And I thought this was funny, right? Like, it's so, so hot out here. Like, this happens, and he's like, great, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. This is amazing. And, uh, and they get up out of the water. I don't know if, like, Philip, like, baptized him, and then, like, disappears, and the guy fell back in the water, and was like, where'd you go? Yeah, I have no idea how that looked. Um, but the guy is super excited. It says he went away rejoicing. Um, and I'm sure the people with him did as well. And then Philip appears over in what's modern-day Ashdod on, on the coast, now teaching other people immediately about who God is. It's almost as if God said, Philip, I don't want you to get skin cancer. It's really hot out here. I'm going to, you know, I, if you go out into that road yourself after somebody that God's called you to, he's also going to take care to make sure that you are taken care of too. So you might get translocated or whisked away and sent somewhere else. I'm just saying. Um, and the last thing is we started in Acts and Acts 1. It says, Jesus tells everybody before he goes to heaven that you're going to be my witnesses in uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, when you look into the writings at this time, Ethiopia for, for Romans, for Jews, for many folks, still other, the last place they knew existed, south. So when Philip is having this conversation, in everyone's mind at that time in the world, you're talking to the folks that come from the farthest south we know about, and you're taking the gospel to them. So there had to be some major excitement both in that moment and for that next kind of reshaping of the church to know that God is taking the, his message everywhere. And you're fulfilling the very call that Jesus made on all their lives uh, in seeing this take place. So, um, again, I think that's got to be a very cool thing to know that what God puts on our hearts right now, he will bring the fulfillment. Uh, he will carry those things to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, he doesn't put something on your heart for no purpose. And he's going to be working on it, whether you're willing to work on it right now with him or not. He's going to bring you there, um, and he will whisk you out of it. So um, that kind of takes us to the end of, of chapter 8. Um, God's canvas is not our canvas, so let's stop constructing these sorts of walls. We build walls for ourselves, too. It's not just a political conversation. We build walls for ourselves, and we build walls from people in our own lives we're having conversations about who God is. And we justify them in many ways that feel really, really good to us because they make us feel comfortable. It's okay to be awkward. Um, it's okay to listen and, and, and let the Holy Spirit show you the conversations around you and ask to have the minds and the heart to listen for those people in our lives that you know and people that you don't know. And maybe you're in this conversation, you probably sat down and you probably know somebody right now that you've not had a conversation with and you maybe wished you did or... Maybe someone in the past that you love and you maybe, you maybe never see him again. Just know that God knows that you care about that person and that love that you have for those people. God has the same love for those people. He put that love in you, so be confident of that. Um, who's God putting you near? And finally, yeah, I mean, you may be the person in someone else's life that shows them that the love of Jesus is possible for them that God loves them in a way that they've never felt they could be loved. And you can cross that through every, you can cross it through all your political lines of discrimination and things that we talk about all the time. You can also cross that in because you don't know someone's family life or someone's family history. You don't know that we're all beaten, bruised, and have a lot of stories to tell. Um, so again, don't limit the construct of how God works and don't limit the places from which someone can come. Because everybody's got a story, and our job is to listen where God wants us to intersect in their story. Um, yeah, uh, 
I love this story, and I appreciate you guys listening in with me, and uh, let's be those sorts of people that travel the desert roads. Uh, Let's pray. Um, Father God, thank you so much for um, extra amounts of time to talk and for attention that (laughs) is paid beyond the constructs of what we're expecting. Um, Thank you for your son, Jesus, and for the fact that you love us so much. you remind us that, uh, that you're coming to save us, to love us, to show us that we are loved. is isn't just for Christmas Day or isn't just for a certain season. It's for um, all of our lives and for people's, people and seasons right now in our own lives. Um, it's for us to be reminded of as well. Um, help us to listen to you and not show up in the middle of the field and tell you what you can't, and can't, uh, can't teach us, what we're able to do and what we're not able to do. Let us be people who actually believe um, that you are who you say you are and shut up with the dumb self-talk that takes us away from the listening. We have two ears and one mouth and we should be providing that same kind of context as we communicate with you, as we communicate with anyone else. Um, Thank you for loving us. Help us to see people the way you see them and help us to um, just take these words to heart as a church that we would... Uh, Follow your spirit as a body that seeks to make your name known and to love people the way that you already want to love them here um, in Austin and to the ends of the earth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.